if you would open your copy of God's Word with me to 1 John chapter 4. And before we read the first six verses, let's pray together, shall we? <coughs> Heavenly Father, this is your word. It is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Lord, by it, would you search our hearts? We know it pierces even to the joints and the marrow. It divides all the way to the deep things of the heart and soul and spirit. And so, Lord, would you come? Would you search us out? Would you change us? Would you make us more like Jesus? Would you correct us, instruct us? Would you cause us to grow in your truth? Lord, would you enable us to understand your word? Your spirit broods over this text, and so, Lord, give us understanding. Lord, may we truly believe it. May we embrace it. May we live by it. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read the first six verses of 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming in and is now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. There are from the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Amen. In our day and age, the time we live, live in, our number one need is holiness in the church. Because the church is worldly, the world is in the church, the church is like the world. Our number one need is that the church needs a heart for holiness. <clears throat> Our witness as a Bible-believing, evangelical, gospel-preaching, Christ-exalting church. And as a Christian, it's hampered when I 
live like the world around me. We need holiness. But our second greatest need, I think, is discernment. Christian discernment. There's this need to be able to tell what is true and what is false. What is right and biblical and helpful and good. And what is false and error and dangerous. I need to be able to distinguish between Bible truth and false error. And that is something that is sorely lacking in churches today. I think <clears throat> that that ability has eroded. And it has eroded over time because we have lost Bible knowledge just as a culture and as a people and as a church. You know, I think we even exemplify that. How many Bible-believing Christians say they don't know very much of the Bible? We feel that. We know it. But if you don't know God's Word, it's very difficult then to know what's the difference between truth and error. How am I going to know it? Is it just left to my feelings? Uh, that doesn't feel right. Sometimes that happens. But I'm in a dangerous place when that's all that there is. And so John's concern in this passage is for spiritual discernment. To be spiritually discerning. You see it there in verse 6. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So he wants the believer to be able to discern what is true and what's not true. What's true and what's false. <clears throat> So three things today, this morning, Lord willing. Who Christ is, we see that in verses 1 to 3. Second thing, this discernment is spiritual. Who Christ is, this discernment is spiritual. That's the second thing. So it's not just intellectual. It's not just Bible facts. It's not, about, it's not even about being smart. It's not knowing a lot of things about the Bible. That's not what it's about. It's a spiritual matter. To have God's word and to say, uh, this is true and this is false. And then in verse 6, the test of a true prophet and the test of a false prophet. John puts it, <laughs> did, did you notice? He says, those who listen to God listen to us. Sounds very... <laughs> Narcissistic, doesn't it? Kind of like, whoa. But who's the us? It's the apostles. It's the apostles' teaching. Where do we find the apostles' teaching? It's in the Word of God. Those who are not true prophets, they don't, they don't receive our teaching. They reject the teaching. They reject the Word of God. They re And so... He's concerned. He's concerned that they can discern between truth and error. Now, this congregation that John's writing to, it's apparent there. There's some people, they're very impressed by certain teachers. But these teachers are teaching false things about Jesus and who Jesus is. 
They're teaching things that are incorrect about Jesus. John tells them, um, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Now that's really interesting because 1 John 3.23, he says, We should believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then two verses later, he says, don't believe everything you hear about Jesus Christ. (laughs) So believe in Jesus, but don't believe everything you hear about Jesus. Believe on Christ, but not everything that you hear. Christianity should not be mistaken for being naive. Real Bible faith is discerning. They don't just believe any old story that somebody tells. They don't believe everything that goes under the guise of Christian is Christian. They examine it. They discern. They believe the truth. And they distinguish between truth and error. Faith, Bible faith, Christian faith, is not faith in faith. Uh, just I, Oh, I feel your heart. No, you can be wrong. It, Christian faith is not a leap in the dark. It's believing in something, someone. It's a firm belief and trust in the person of God and the promises of God. And those promises are true. We don't believe everything we're told. Those who believe in Jesus Christ, hear me now, those who believe in Jesus Christ have brains. You don't check your brain in at the door when you trust in Christ. In fact, unbelief is irrational. Sin is irrational. But Christians... We use our brains. When someone comes and someone teaches, you measure them by what does the scripture say? Is that true? What's the scripture say? You need to be like the Bereans. Remember, Paul goes to the Bereans. They heard Paul preach, and they didn't just go away going, oh, man, Paul taught. That was great. We loved Paul's funny. He's got that, he made those nose jokes. He's bald. Uh, he was so great. No, they didn't just go away amazed with Paul. What did they do? They went away from hearing Paul talk, and they said, let's check our Bibles. Okay, Paul, what you said lines up with what God's Word says. They're discerning. They tested. They tested to see, is what Paul says true? And what was the standard by which they tested that? Not their feelings. It was the Bible. It was the Word of God. And so here's John. John says, here's a test for you to apply to every teacher. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So, there's this doctrinal test. You, is what they say true? Is it true doctrine? Is it Bible doctrine? Anyone who claims to be a prophet of the Lord, anyone who claims to preach or teach, 
John says, a teacher who teaches what the Bible says, they show the mark of being a true Christian. Someone who teaches and denies what the Bible teaches about Jesus, they're not from God. They're not from God. In this passage, I think this is interesting too. What's being denied about Jesus is his humanity. His humanity. They denied that Jesus was really human. Now, in our day, it's typically something else. It's usually that people deny that he is God. But they, didn't, they were denying that he was really human. They didn't deny the fact that he was God. They denied the fact that he was really human. I think that's one of the great claims of Christ, that he is the Son of God. He is the second person of the Trinity in the flesh. He is God of very God, begotten, not created, divine. That it took two centuries of Christian history to pass before anyone dared to question whether or not he was God. The early questions were, hey, is this guy really human? Was he really a man? Now, your average university... They say the idea of Jesus' deity gradually evolved over the course of time, that there was this good man, and over the course of time, people elevated him to the idea of deity. No, no, no. History's the opposite. They believed he was God. They struggled with, could someone that great actually been man? It took three centuries. And when that, that argument did come, it was so soundly refuted by the early church that it took 1,500 more years before it was even brought up again. But the problem they struggled with in this early church was, is he human? Is he human? They were denying that Jesus was fully man. Paul, John recognizes if you think Jesus is not fully man, that undercuts the gospel. Because if he's not fully man, we do not have a high priest who can sympathize with us in, in all things except sin. Uh, he's not fit to be our redeemer. He's not fit to bear our sins as a human in our place. So there's problems if you don't think Jesus is a human. This denial about Jesus undercuts the gospel. And so John rebukes it. And you know you don't have to go far today. Whether it's television, radio, internet, to find Christian teachers teaching false things about Jesus Christ. Do you know that? There are, it, it's, it abounds. There's the word of faith movement that Jesus gave up his deity when he came to earth. There are those modalists that say, well, there's one God, but that one God manifests himself in three different ways. Sometimes he's the Father, sometimes he's the Son, sometimes he's the Spirit. There's the cuddly heresy. That Jesus is just this cuddly, lovable guy. Rick Warren said, God's not, Jesus isn't mad at you, he's mad about you. Oh, really? Because... From the Bible I read says there will be a day when people are crying out for the rocks to fall on them to avoid the wrath of the Lamb. 
Don't believe these heresies. They're all around. Believers must exercise discernment. When we hear people claim to be teaching God's truth, we measure that with what does the Bible say? What does the scripture say? Does it check out? I examine it. I don't assume, well, he's a pastor. He's got to be telling me the truth. No. Anything that is said from this pulpit, you examine it with the scriptures. Don't ever say, well, he's so engaging. I just get wrapped up in what he's... No. That's not the standard. Don't ever say, oh, but he's so funny. I could just listen to him for hours. No, that's not the standard. He's such a powerful communicator. So sincere. Or this one, she tells it like it is. That's not the standard. The Bible is the standard. What does God's word say? Is what... What they say, what they teach, does it line up with what God's Word says? When we hear those who teach the Bible and about what the Bible says about Jesus, John says, verse 3, if they deny what the Bible says about Jesus, they're not from God. Or if they, dis they distort it. Now, this is doctrinal... This is one area, right? This is dealing with the humanity of Jesus. This is a primary doctrine. But you do need to have that category. How do I, how do I um, um, discern? So what's primary? What's secondary? What's tertiary? What, what really matters? What matters a little bit? What, uh, we can have, freely have some differences. Because there are secondary issues. Baptism is a secondary issue. You can believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, be saved on your way to glory, and have a wrong doctrine of baptism. There are tertiary issues. Some of the views on spiritual gifts. We could be all over the place on different views. Open and closed communion. We can have all kinds of different views here, even about that. End times. We can have lots of different views about that. But there are those primary doctrines where there's no give. That there's one God in three persons. That you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. So, Baptismal regeneration? No. You're not saved because you get in a tank of water. We examine, discern, truth, error. This discernment is spiritual. Verses 4 and 5. So it's not just a matter of being smart. It's a spiritual matter. He says, you are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So it isn't just a matter of you having more smarts and brains than someone else. It's not a matter of you being smarter or more gifted in 
intellectual matters than somebody else. This is a spiritual matter. He who is in you is greater than the world. If the Spirit of God is in you, if the Spirit of God dwells in you, that Bible knowledge that you have, it will not just lie dormant. No, no. It's going, the Spirit of God is going to use it and He's going to cre create in you and He's going to fill you with love and a good conscience and sincere faith and there will be discernment. That's why some very humble people, intellectually, can know God and know God better than people who are very, very, very smart. Because it's a spiritual matter. Being in the Bible, studying the Word of God, being led in the Word by the Spirit of truth. And what's the result? is that we will recognize and we observe truth from error. This, the matter of discernment is a spiritual matter. Now I want to say this. Paul speaks about a gift of discernment. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, uh, he's talking, so in the early church, he says, to another, the working of miracles. These are gifts that were given to assist the church and to help the church. It says, um, to another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits to various kinds of tongues. And to another, interpretation of tongues. So John is talking about, uh, what John is talking about in First John is not what Peter's talking about. Peter's, uh, Peter, uh, I'm sorry, Paul is talking about gifts that were given to the early church. So they did not have the scriptures. There was a time they couldn't open their Bibles and say, oh, let me, let me compare that with what Luke wrote in Acts. Let me compare that with what 1 John says. They didn't have 1 John written down. They didn't have that. And someone may stand and they may speak the very truth, the very words of God through, with these gifts that God gave to the church. So even though they didn't have a complete Bible, God would speak to the church. His word. And there were some, we're told, they had this gift of discernment. So if I would stand up and say, thus says the Lord, and I'd give some kind of prophecy or some kind of teaching, some kind of word, just by saying, thus says the Lord, wasn't a trump card. Now I could, right? They didn't have copies of the Bible, so if I just said, thus says the Lord, then you have to believe me, right? No, because there were these people in these churches who had this gift of discernment. God in his care and his providence and his, his building of the church. They would say, no, 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 no. This is not from God. This is not from the Spirit of God. This person is not a believer. This person is a believer. You see this, the apostles could do this, right? We can't do this. We don't have that. Remember Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5? Acts 5 says, Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. And with his money, 
With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but he brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart and that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? It didn't belong, uh, didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lie just to a human beings, but to God. How does, Peter, how, how does Peter know what in the world was in Ananias' heart? He could discern the spirits. True, right, false. And then later, three hours later, Peter, his wife comes in. Peter asked her, he, he brings it up. Hey, tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? You see the same thing in Acts 8 with Simon the magician. Simon had made a profession of faith. Simon even went and got baptized. But then he tried to buy the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember what Peter tells him? May your silver perish with you because you thought it could, you could obtain the gift of God with money. He says in verse 21, You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Well, how do we discern today? Do I just walk around and say, Oh, oh, you got something? Uh, I, no, that, uh, I would not sit on that side. Do I do that? Do I say I don't like the way you look? I don't, I don't like the way you do this. How do we? Well, how do we say you're godly or you're wicked? Well, we don't know people's hearts. I don't know people. You don't know people's hearts. We examine fruit. But I do not have the ability to say your heart is not right with God. You lie. Hey, I will never tell you, you're going to get struck down. We examine fruit. We say things like this. You don't act like a Christian. We say things like this. Christians shouldn't act that way. We say, I don't know your heart, but unless you repent of your sin, I don't think you are a Christian. We say things like this, I hear what you're saying, but the word of God says this. Our standard is not some internal trigger. Our standard's the word of God. That says, this is right, this is wrong. That's our standard. And that's a very different discernment than what we saw in the early church in, in Corinth. Or in Acts. So there's no, I'm not talking about some kind of special gift of discernment. I'm, this is what it is it's Christian maturity. Christian maturity. You know the scriptures, you've been walking with God, and you're being led by the Holy Spirit. You're probably pretty discerning. And this is what we are all called to. Every believer, 
Every believer has the Spirit of God. You have the Word of God. So what should you do with every teaching? Examine, test. You be engaged in examining teaching that you hear. Don't just buy a book on, uh, from a, uh, a Christian resource and say, oh, it came from a Christian resource. It's got to be good. It's got my book. It's got Bible verses in here. Examine it. Examine it. Examine what's being claimed. Does it align with the Word of God or not? Is it orthodox or is it not? And this is the mark for every, every teacher. Look at verse 6. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. Who's the us? It's the apostles. John saying, we the apostles, we're from God, and if you know God, you'll listen to the apostles' teaching. The apostles, they're from God, they're faithful teachers, so what do faithful teachers and followers of the Lord Jesus look like? They believe the apostles' word. What does a false teacher look like? They reject it. They will show that they're really of the world and not of God because they reject the word of God. And friends, there's Christian teaching today. They regularly call into question the authority of God's word, the truthfulness of his word. John, in 1 John chapter 4, verses 4 to 6, anyone who tells you that the word of God is wrong, they're not from God. Now notice who says that, right? It's not a crotchety, old, conservative, Southern Baptist, though I'm all those things, right? I didn't invent this. I didn't say this. It is John, the apostle of love, who lived with Jesus, who laid his head on Jesus' chest. Anybody who rejects the apostles' teaching doesn't know the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's an important thing for us to remember as we discern truth from error. Because there's many people, they claim to be agents of God, they claim to be messengers from God, but they deny the word of God. And John says, no, no, if you deny the word of God. If you deny the apostle's teaching, you show you don't know the God of the apostles. And so, friends, we need to be discerning. We need to be discerning about what's being taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as he is offered to us in the gospel, the Son of God, the Savior of sinners? If so, we're believing Gospel truth, the Jesus of the Bible. Do we have spiritual discernment so that in our hearts, the Holy Spirit has so wrought our knowledge of the truth of scriptures, he, he's worked it in such a way that we see and discern the differences between right and wrong, truth and error. What is true, what is error? Are we discerning? How can you be discerning? Do you submit to the Bible? Do you accept it as fully authoritative and true? 
Or do you just say you do? I pray that God will help us be discerning. And if you don't know Jesus today, you don't. I mean, we did all this with pictures earlier. We'd be amiss if we didn't say, more than anything else right now, what you need is to receive him. That he would give us eyes to see. That you would discern truth from error. That you would see the way of life clearly. You need to receive Jesus. Trust, trust in him. And live for him. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, would you hear our prayer? Would you grant to us discernment? We cry out for it, Lord. We, we lack it in so many areas of our own lives. Lord, above everything else, would you secure us in the Savior by faith? Jesus, who is given to us in the word of God. The Jesus that we have revealed to us and is made known to us in your word. Keep us from buying into any of the false Jesuses that are paraded around. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.